0: Hello, everybody. Um, we are so excited to be back. We're never, ever not going to be here on a Wednesday, except when we go never. on <laughs> <laughs> Except that one time that we will not be here. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> For a good today, reason. Today, <laughs> we are so excited. We connected with the down there doc, um, Marcy Crouch, who Restorative pelvic physical therapy. She has admitted that is a really long name and <laughs> doesn't know what she's using on the branding side. It's hilarious. She is hilarious. Um, but I actually found out about her through the Happy Mom Conference, which is a conference that um, Clover PR worked on and was incredible. They had so many amazing speakers there, um, and she was one of them. So. I'm not sure if some of our listeners know, but there is a really big movement around pelvic floor issues and postpartum care. You know, a lot of us feel, um, and I'm saying us, cause I included after having a baby think it's crazy that we push a human out of our bodies, whether it's C-section, you know, a vaginal birth, whatever it may be. And then it's like, okay, bye. Two days in the hospital and we'll see you <laughs> in six weeks. Like one of the biggest traumas That's we real. go through Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, so she focuses on the pelvic floor and strengthening those muscles. There's a lot of trauma that happens when you're pregnant, even when you're not pregnant. Um, so we we went there with the down there doc and talked we about all there. things. <laughs> yeah, we went. We're down not talking yeah. Australia. <laughs> yeah, although that would be nice. I need a vacation. Let's do that too. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, and she just has an incredible background. Brooke, share kind of a little bit about, like, yeah. Marcy she actually ends.
1: I really loved talking with Marcy. She was super real and personable. Um, she received her doctorate in physical therapy from USC, so she is a local gal. She's, or local to us. Um, she's up mm-hmm. in L.A., redondo beach and practicing and she was so funny she was like I've always done like I've always focused on um women care so you know pregnancy anything to do with um vaginal restorative health and um she's like I guess I could do something on a knee like technically she's like but I never have (laughs) so she's the real deal when it comes to talking to her about um you know public floor floor issues with the female anatomy and male but where we find out in you'll hear more is that it definitely affects females more than um, our men friends, which of course, the women, are again, we take one for the team. (laughs) But it is Um, interesting
0: that men have pelvic floor issues. That was one of the bombs she dropped. We were like, whoa.
1: These guys, they have it too. Um, But just, yeah, not (laughs) as prevalent for, obviously females were going through a lot more when it comes to pregnancy, birth, and all that fun stuff. Um, But we got to ask her a lot of questions that we personally are curious about because of where we're both at in our pregnancies. Heather's, um, you know, about to give birth at any moment. Mm. (laughs) Um, So we're just, you know, we're excited to have her as a resource. We asked her, should you have an episiotomy or not? And how does this affect your pelvic floor, um, you know, muscles after birth? And when should you start Having sex after birth, when's the ideal time? So a lot of stuff we get into is really relevant to us and to our community, and we're just so glad that she was able to open up and share with us.
0: Yes, and disclaimer, we did record this episode prior to me having my second child, so I do ask a lot of questions, getting my head around my next birth. Um, Although at this point, as you're listening, I should hopefully have a baby in my arms, but... Ooh, TBD. Check her Instagram for that. <laughs> yeah, I, if I go, if I go to my birthday, which is September thirteenth, like the world is ending. So, oh um, heck no. Yeah. Hopefully, just not a Labor Day baby. No offense to holiday babies. I just don't want to <laughs> deal with the hospital being slammed when I'm going to shoot a child out of my vagina. No.
1: Nope, so anywho, no, thank you. <laughs> thank One you more thing to mention about her too. Before we get into, not only does she have the background, but she herself is also a mother, so she has two boys. So she's gone through it before. She has, like, the first-hand experience of um, going through pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum that we've all, you know, dealt with if you've had um, a child or one or two or three or four. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so she's right in there with us as well. So I thought that was something interesting to mention as she is an expert, but she's also a mom.
0: Yes. Yeah, so... Let's get she Marcy on further the
1: horn ado. Oh my god No <laughs>
0: Without Brooke. further ado I love that like we are sitting here talking about like vaginas And then Brooke gets so Like Emily posts on us And she's like yeah. and without further ado it's her so, right. You know
1: why I love it Is because when I listen to podcasts and I hear people do an intro And then their music drops I'm all about the music dropping So get ready for it Our <laughs> music's about to drop um, um, um. hey i'm heather and i'm brooke we're two mompreneurs and friends for almost 10 years who watched each other go from single af to married with
0: child soon to be children tune in every wednesday to hear us and our lovely guests dish about motherhood entrepreneurship relationships and tips on how
1: we try to balance it all we're ready to let it all hang out Yes, all of it. The pretty, the messy, the too tight for our skinny jeans.
0: If only for a good therapeutic laugh or cry. Hashtag real talk. Welcome to a space for soul. We're excited to share ours with you. Hey, everybody. Another Wednesday, and this one is a special one. Not sure if y'all know, but September is Sexual Healing Month, right? Sexual healing. Yeah, it's just sexual awareness. What is What is the actual month? Now I'm like totally I don't know. Coming off here, I'm like Marcy, what is it?
1: Um, But we have
0: Marcy from the Down There Doc on today. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Um, And we we are gonna do a little lady part. That we are super excited about. Um, and just going to kind of get it all out there. I mean, um, it's sexual health month, to correct myself, by the way. Um, just coming I off like of a sexual pregnancy. Too. Yeah. But, you know, I feel
2: sexual
0: like feeling. that yeah. feels right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, <sounds> yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. We're happy with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I'm down. Makes me feel good to talk about. Um, but yeah, I just, for everyone too, as we talk through this, if I refer to, we are going to be talking about vaginas, just let's get it out there. Um, I also call it a Britney because when Britney Spears had her flashing moment, it was the funniest thing to me. And I always just call it my Britney from now on. So if anyone hears me say something about a Britney, that's what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Um, so Marcy, just tell us a little bit, about what you do and how you became the down there doc
2: yeah I thank you thank you I can't take full credit for it my sister um, helped me with that one but yes let me tell you everything and I'll tell you my ways here so I um, am a physical therapist I got my doctorate from University of Southern California and I thought Um, going into PT school that I was going to be, you know, do something totally different, like orthopedics, sports medicine, kind of um, whatever that would entail. And then my first year, first semester, we were in anatomy and the professor talked about um, pelvic floor physical therapy. And we were going over the anatomy and she said that there are some, you know, PTs that work in this area. And she used the example of a woman who had a baby and had a pretty significant perineal tear and then was having some bladder incontinence and some pain afterwards. And I had just gotten married. I was like in my early 20s. Kids weren't even on the radar. And I just was like, what? You tear during delivery? What are you talking about? Like it just totally... (laughs) Like it was one of those moments in my life where I was just like, okay, jaw dropping onto the floor, (laughs) closed mouth. Um, But that really was kind of like the defining moment that I just became really interested in pelvic floor rehab and kind of what it entails. And um, I decided to do more more research and figure out. You know what this means, and I found that it's a really underserved population of women, um, men also, who have public floor issues, and um, there's not a lot of PTs who do it. So I just like thought I would do it, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> so it's really like the only <laughs> type of, <laughs> it's really the only type of uh, rehab that I've ever done. Um, I I can I guess like legally treat a knee, um, but haven't put my hands on a knee in like ten years, but I will happily treat the vaginas all day long. So that's um,
1: <laughs> that's oh, what
2: goodness. I do. Um, and I have worked. I did residency for a year after I graduated, where I kind of spent, you know, an intensive year. Um, honing my skills and having some internship in high-risk pregnancy, postpartum PT, female athlete, breast cancer, pelvic pain, um, bladder and bowel dysfunction. And then I just worked for some really great private practices kind of um, all over the place. We move a lot from my husband's job. So I worked in the Bay Area in Texas and um, Portland, Oregon. And then we moved back here to Los Angeles. And I decided I would open my own practice um, last year.
1: And I did. So here we are. That's amazing. I love yeah, it. Thanks. So the first question is going to sound really stupid. <laughs> I'm going no. off script for a second, but how do you know like when you have a weak pelvic floor, is it just that you can't like hold your bladder? Like what are the signs mm-hmm. of it? I'm like, God, maybe I have one more than I know I do. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Um, so lots of signs and symptoms. So pelvic floor muscles are skeletal muscle. They're just like our biceps or our hamstrings or our quads. So when we talk about like weakness in the pelvic floor, or we talk about like a lack of support because the muscles basically have to like hold us up. They're at the bottom of our bodies. They're like the floor of the core. We tend to see um, like urinary incontinence, you know, leaking urine with laugh, cough, sneeze, or exercise. Um, urge incontinence that's so leaking urine when you feel like you have to go pee and like you can't make it to the bathroom in time um, <clears throat> same thing with like prolapse sometimes we see organs like bladder urethra rectum uh, uterus and cervix kind of sitting a little bit lower in the vaginal canal and that can cause some feelings of like heaviness or like something's just kind of in there or close to the opening that could be also indicative of pelvic floor weakness and also like low back pain, just good old-fashioned <laughs> low back pain, um, and sacroiliac joint dysfunction, the pelvic floor is like the mothership of the core muscles, and when we're like rehabbing backs and people with back pain, then the pelvic floor has to be included in that, um, and we're, you know, seeing chronic low back pain, um, people that have chronic lo- low back pain for a long time having pelvic floor weakness and pelvic floor um, timing issues, cool. so, Yeah.
1: Okay, got it. So maybe I'm just, my pelvic floor weakness is because of pregnancy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but So that's one. So when you, Yeah, that's one. I'm sure there's a bunch. So what do you do then exactly as far as physical therapy for pelvic floor um, to, you know, help the weakness? Like, what is it that you guys are doing types of exercises and stuff?
2: Yeah, so there's a whole slew of them and it really just kind of depends on what you're presenting with so I will assess so I do a vaginal exam feel around those muscles see what their kind of baseline strength is from like power endurance you know how quickly they fatigue how fast they're able to contract how long they're able to contract are they strong enough to actually like lift up and hold it the bladder up Um, And then we look at that in coordination with the abdominals, like what your abs are doing, how the deep abdominals are working. And based on all of that, we come up with an exercise program um, based on kind of what your findings are. There's not like people talk about Kegels and kind of like, oh, you should like sit in your car and do 400 Kegels at a stoplight. Like that's not really um, like very functional and not super effective, but. Strengthening the pelvic floor. I'm glad you
1: say that because I feel like I'm like missing out by not doing it. I'm always like, shoot, I should be doing my (laughs) exercise.
2: No, I mean, like, it's important to make sure that they're functioning the right way, but it's not always about strength. Like, the, the pelvic floor has to be like, timed correctly with the deep abdominals it has to be able to come on with movement and activity like we could be strong laying down or sitting in our cars but that those muscles have to function the right way when we're like running after babies or when we're lifting stuff at the gym or when we're putting car seats in the car or when we're like you know jumping at CrossFit or whatever it is that we want to do so it has to be able to transfer over to function and they have to work together with a whole host of other of other muscles Um, so just doing kegels alone usually isn't like super effective. And in fact, most people do them incorrectly. And there's been studies to show that like when you're just verbally instructed how to do them, like 30% of women are doing them incorrectly.
0: I mean, I can totally believe that because when I had a personal trainer for a little bit, she's like, activate this muscle. And I'm like, I don't even know how to to get in touch with that. So to do a muscle that's so internal, like, and- you right. Know, it just you have to learn how to work that muscle out too, or there's other things around it that can compensate. So totally. um, it's it's really just makes sense that you need someone to kind of guide you through that a little bit and a little YouTube video isn't necessarily gonna do
1: the do the trick. Um, <laughs> right <laughs> so very true.
0: Question how and obviously I know everyone presents differently and there's all kinds of cases, but on average if it's like a normal weakness what like time frame does it take to repair um is it like something you can do in a month is it something that you need three months or what's kind of what should someone expect if they've got kind of this normal worn out pelvic floor <laughs> yeah this, she's tired she needs a, she needs a little
2: <laughs> Um, Oh Brittany! Oh Oh Oh, uh, she's so crazy. Um well a couple (laughs) of things. So if we are thinking about this from like a normal kind of muscle physiology standpoint, like exercise physiology, we see changes in skeletal muscle after six to eight weeks of like progressive resistive exercise. Right. So like if you're going to the gym and you're doing arms and back and legs and whatever for weight training, you'll see changes in size of, and power and strength of muscles after like six weeks. Right. So it's the same mm-hmm. kind of idea for the pelvic floor because it's skeletal muscle. So usually I say, we'll start to see strength changes by that time. Um, But it takes longer sometimes, um, you know, just based on like our lifestyle and like how much time we can dedicate to exercises and kind of like what we're doing. And as moms, the demand changes because babies get bigger. (laughs) Like it's not like we're just lifting Mm -hmm. the weight every day. Um, So, and there's like a hormonal component and, you know, we're not sleeping and if we're going back to work, like there's all these other factors, but, you know, if you're good, like pretty diligent about your exercises, and you know we we have the correct program prescribed, then we'll see we'll see changes by two months, I would think. Um, not okay. always like hundred percent, but changes.
0: Right. No, that's that's just good to know for our listeners of kind of like what time investment is this too, and that makes a lot of sense. It's not overnight. Nothing. Right. Nothing good ever is. Um, (laughs) but you know it's good to kind of know around that six to eight week mark maybe 12 ish if it's kind of just a normal situation
1: um that's super helpful yeah so then we know obviously like pregnancy is a huge factor in having like weak pelvic floor um but how likely is it to that like people you know have a weak pelvic floor for other reasons and what are maybe some of those other reasons that they may
2: Yeah, um, pretty uh, common, actually. Um, So lots of reasons for weakness in the pelvic floor. Um, One can be um, some constipation or chronic Mm -hmm. straining issues because you're um, pushing and kind of bearing down a lot on the pelvic floor, and that can weaken it and lengthen um second we see leaking urinary leaking in a lot of our female athletes who haven't had been pregnant yet or haven't had babies yet usually higher dynamic activities like volleyball um, track and field gymnastics trampoline things where you're like jumping and doing a lot of like load and kind of landing activities and we're seeing quite like a big chunk of um like the numbers are actually quite um shocking there's a there's a lot of younger women experiencing leaking in those in those type of activities um and then we see it also in some of our weightlifters too because they're doing a lot of heavy lifting um olympic weightlifters we doing they're doing a lot of heavy lifting and they might not be activating the pelvic floor the right way and so we we're seeing leaking in that um, instance too but general core weakness also plays a part in this too um but if we look at the stats, we see one in three women have pelvic floor dysfunction after having babies. And that's just like in the population of women having babies. And we don't really know what the strength is like prior to that because we're not assessing it like we should be. So it's hard to say, but I would say very
1: common, but not normal. Got it. Interesting. Um, And Sorry, and on the same question um, is, equally seen between females and males when it's obviously outside of pregnancy um, Um, or men or more females more
2: females more females men will have some pelvic floor issues um as well they definitely can but the we don't see as much leaking like we do for women um the studies mostly are are on female athletes and and pregnancy postpartum um most of the males that i see in my practice um have leaking issues like tied to prostate problems or prostate mm-hmm. um, surgery. Um, and then sometimes on like the other end from like a pain standpoint and uh, they're having like pelvic floor issues, um, pain, general pain, pain with sex, pain with ejaculation, that sort of thing. That's like a high tone pelvic floor issues, like too, too tight. The muscles are too short and giving them pain and symptoms, which could also contribute to leaking. But usually it's like, not a weakness problem it's like a too tight problem
0: oh just another thing we get to blame eve for because she <laughs> ate that damn apple
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: Right. I swear, one more thing on the women's list but uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> speaking, speaking of sex um because <laughs> yeah. you brought it up yeah. <laughs> i want and we're going to tie in where we are in our lives which is pregnancy um two questions. One, how can an episiotomy affect sex? And Mm -hmm. two, because we've been dying to know the answer to this question from someone. um, Do you recommend that a woman naturally chair during birth or get an episiotomy? Or does it not really matter in regards to pelvic floor issues? This
2: is a great question. Okay. (laughs) So here's the deal on episiotomy. So, okay. Episiotomy used to be performed routinely. Like they were just kind of standard. Like they just were done all the time, whether or not you needed them or not. Nowadays, thank God, they're much more um, like for medical necessity and people are not performing them routinely because what they found when they were performed all the time is that women were having a harder time recovery, reporting much more, uh, much higher levels of pain and more like bladder and bowel dysfunction. Usually because um, episiotomies are done straight, at the bottom, like through midline, which is like right up the kind of the bottom of the vagina, right through the perineum, where most of the pelvic floor muscles attach. And they were going um, pretty deep into the muscle layer. And that's um, challenging to recover from. And scar tissue can build up and cause some pain. And women were just having a really hard time recovering. And there's studies to support this. So they stopped doing them routinely and started having women tear um, a little bit more uh, kind of on their own. And usually what we find with tearing is that it's not necessarily midline. It tends to be off to the side, like unilateral versus right down the center. And that's less, um, I guess, traumatic, even though I don't like to say, like kind of have a negative connotation with it, but it's a little bit less traumatic for the pelvic floor when it's off to the side versus like right down the middle. Um, so in my opinion, opinion, I think it is better to tear than have an episiotomy. Um, now if it's like medically necessary to get a baby out safely and if like a shoulder is stuck or something like that, then, you know, we have the tools like we, you know, we have, we can do an episiotomy episiotomy if needed but um I would say tearing it tends to be a little bit better recovery wise than episiotomies um done routine very very interesting very we both had
1: episiotomy so this is super interesting to (laughs) us well because my second pregnancy I had so
0: many more issues with incontinence than I did with my first and I'm thinking oh just second kid but I had You know we both had i had a nine-pound baby brooke had like almost it was like two ounces off from a nine-pound baby we both had significant episiotomies and um you know just kind of chalked it up to second pregnancy but that's really interesting um so follow-up question if you've had an episiotomy with a prior pregnancy Should you get one again, since you've already had that healing, or should you tear naturally the second time? Because we both feel like the babies aren't going to be any smaller, so. (laughs) Right, right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily, so I think it all, it depends. (laughs) It depends. I think that you wait and see what happens during delivery. I think having a, a past episiotomy doesn't mean that you have to have another one. I think um, if you have to have another one, it's a game time decision. And you talk, you know, you talk about that with the OB ahead of time and kind of say like, what do we right. do? Like, what's the plan? Um, but yeah, I think it, it doesn't correlate, you know, directly past episiotomies don't correlate directly with having another one. Um, Got it. Would you I, be
1: more I, likely to tear though? Like if you tore before, um, or you had an Yeah.
2: So I th- it, de- it <laughs> depends, totally depends. Um, there are some studies to support that not, like if you've had a significant tear the first time around, um, that you don't necessarily have the same level of tear the second time around. Um, and I, you know, I think it depends. There are a lot of things kind of out of out of our control, like speed of the delivery, size of the baby's head, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah. there are things that you can do um, to control the factors that we can control like we can do perineal massage ahead of time we can work on scar tissue mobility you can do warm compresses at the perineum during delivery you can do oil all over the vagina like while the baby's crowning like there's lots of things that you can do to minimize the risk um like I had a woman that I treated not too long ago she came to me pregnant with her second baby she had like a grade three tear with her first Um, And I worked on her during pregnancy and she had her second baby and she had like a grade one tear in the same spots and then like did so much better post than she did after the first one. I mean, she was still having pain when I saw her during her pregnancy from the first one. And then I saw her, Mm -hmm. you know, six weeks post and she wasn't having any pain. So, you know, there there are things to do to minimize that, you know, as much as possible, but it's hard to say like set in stone you know, what your body's going to do. But we try to just control the things that we can control as much as possible.
0: Yeah, no, that's super interesting though, just because obviously that's kind of where we are. And just to hear your thoughts is really helpful. And obviously it's a game time decision in the delivery, but um, it was one of those things like, should we tear naturally this time? Or, you know, I mean, we're both predicting we're going to have big babies again. So it's one of those things where it's like, what right. what is that you know new right. option and how do we feel about it? so that's right. super helpful right and I
2: think you know like always like great things to talk to your doctor about too because you know grade like when we get into the kind of higher level tearing like a three or a four then we start to see kind of some of the same issues that we see with episiotomies um, with healing like as far as pain and dysfunction and that sort of thing goes so it's like weighing the options you know like you know grade three four tear and versus an episiotomy or like a grade one tear versus an episiotomy like i would pick a one or two tear over an episiotomy if it was my vagina
1: got it right my vagina decided to tear on top of my episiotomy so i ended up having a three degree (laughs) tear. oh holy I'm like, and honestly, the worst part of the recovery was having my first like bowel movement because it was so scary. It was way worse than childbirth. Oh
2: I know that first poop is like that's a that's a big deal. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Time having sex, like oh, that kind of like mm-hmm. I mean that one you can avoid more than poop. Like you're yeah. you're gonna have yeah. to go, go back, <laughs> but like still yes. so at some yeah. point your partner to be like, hi, let's get jiggy again and
1: all right besides like, being yeah. terrified you might
0: make another baby you're like i just don't know if anything should be down there ever again like sorry right. you're like D- were you not there did you not see what just yeah. came out
2: of that and yeah. you want maybe i
0: should let him in- look next time be like just so you know what's happening right,
1: yeah. right.
2: take a good look buddy <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
1: I did actually and I shared that on another podcast I did show my husband I was like I need you to see what my crotch looks like because I need you to know from a baseline like if it gets worse if I get like I'm feeling worse I need you to see if it's gotten worse <laughs> he's like uh okay I'm like everything's out the door here honey <laughs> right it's over for better or worse. he's yeah. like looks good I'm like he doesn't even know what he's looking for he <laughs> yeah right oh gosh okay so on back onto the sex train yeah Um, so why I mean and I'm sure because of experience and stories and stuff but why do women just assume like sex is going to be painful after birth and looping in kind of the episiotomy talk too does that make it more painful um, after birth um, d-
0: depends.
1: <laughs> depends. It's like, oh my gosh, I should get that every vagina
0: is different. <laughs> yeah, you
2: every bundle That's right. Susie's vagina is different than Melissa's vagina, so we can't always compare. <laughs> but here's what. Here's why sex can be a little bit uncomfortable after baby. There's a couple reasons. One, um, healing from any sort of repair, obviously. I mean, and, and I think like I've had, you know, I've had patients with like smaller repairs, like a grade one or grade two tear that have a significant level of pain. So we can't always coordinate or correlate like big, big tears with lots of pain. I think we have pain, you know, regardless sometimes. Um, the second reason can be hormonally. Um, when we have babies and we are breastfeeding, we have a lack of estrogen in our bodies. And that, that's because our bodies are trying to not ovulate so we can make milk and feed the baby instead of get pregnant again right away. Although you can still get pregnant when you're breastfeeding, that's a disclaimer. Some people <laughs> ovulate and not have a period, but generally we don't ovulate right away. The tissue around the vaginal opening is like super estrogen dependent, like loves estrogen. There's like a bajillion estrogen receptors down there. So when we don't have estrogen in our body, the tissue becomes very fragile and very frail and um, very dry. I lovingly, to this as sandpaper vagina because it feels like <laughs> rough. you have sandpaper for labias and that is due to estrogen um and so when you're trying to like stick a penis in a sandpaper vagina like it doesn't feel off. No, it no.
1: Does <laughs> no
0: it does I not i know how to describe what's going on down there if i don't want sex post-pregnancy like honey <laughs> do you like sandpaper around your penis
2: your choice I'm just throwing it out there you can have you choose, honey yeah. yeah you can have sandpaper <laughs> or you can have nothing your choice um oh, my oh. God. So that, <laughs> that's one and then the third reason can be from like a musculoskeletal problem so if there's like you know um any sort of tightness in the pelvic floor muscles from having pain or discomfort the muscles can get tight just like you know if something's painful, we kind of contract and guard. Um, Nerves can be very hypersensitive um, from delivery or repair, and then that scar tissue can be um, irritated as well. So um, those are kind of like the three main ones. Uh, physical therapy can help with pretty much all of them. We can't change the estrogen component, but some, but we work with the OBs and the midwives to maybe get like a topical estrogen cream if it's safe for you to take estrogen and that's something that you're willing to do that can help a lot with some of like the dryness and pain. Um, and then we work on like the mechanical side of things, scar tissue, tight muscles, how to use lube the right way, what type of lube to use, what positions we should start in. Um, we bring in vaginal dilators if we need to. There's like, I got all sorts of things up my sleeve to get. lots to.
1: of tricks. <laughs> Yeah. Lots of tricks.
2: Yeah. 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 But um, it's again, common, but not normal.
1: Right. What, so in speaking of like kind of normal and standard, and we know, you know, traditionally people are supposed to wait like six weeks after postpartum, after their first appointment with their OB. Mm-hmm. Is there kind of like a, an optimal waiting time um and we know this probably depends too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for a normal like recovery situation is there an optimal waiting time until you have sex post pregnancy?
2: I mean so the you know the rule is generally 6 to 8 weeks because that's when tissues
1: have healed
2: from like a medical kind of wound standpoint. Usually repairs are healed, stitches are gone, you know, things have like recovered from any sort of trauma. Um so from med from like a medical standpoint, I would say, you know, definitely wait until you've been cleared at the six to eight week mark. However, okay. that doesn't necessarily mean that you might like feel ready or that you want to do that. And so that time frame is totally based on you and your comfort level and your exhaustion level and like what you and your partner decide. But um
1: medically speaking, usually they'll clear you for that around six to eight weeks. Okay. So if you're like still continuing to experience pain maybe you've had like you know sex two or three times after the eight-week mark when do you know it's like it's not normal anymore to keep feeling pain
2: I would say then I would say then. okay <laughs> yeah I like yeah I try to get like I if people are having symptoms it's to me it's better to like early intervention like why keep torturing yourself and like feel crummy when it, if you want to be having sex with your partner and feel that you can't because it's painful, then like, let's try to address that as as quickly as possible and not um, brush it off as like, well, you just had a baby. What do you expect? Like if you want to be doing yeah. that and that's important to you, then we need to respect that and treat it as effectively as possible. Um, personally for me, <laughs> like I didn't want anything near there anywhere near the six to eight week mark. So I waited a little bit longer, um, but I would say like, yeah, if, I mean, there are some studies to show that, you know, we tend to see changes kind of at, after this like fourth trimester mark, you know, kind of at this like 12 week mark postpartum. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're, if you're still having, you know, symptoms by then, I would say for sure, get in. But I mean, even if it's like been a few weeks after the six to eight week mark, let's just get that taken care of.
0: Definitely. Wow. Yeah. It's like with breastfeeding, you know, when you nurse, everyone always tells you, Oh, it's, it's just going to hurt the, you know, the first time, or it's just going to hurt for a while. And you kind of suffer through like, well, this is how it's supposed to be, but it's, it's nice to hear, no, that's actually not how it's supposed to be. And there are ways right. you can not be in pain and enjoy what you, you know, used to enjoy. Um,
2: right.
0: And I want to bring up breastfeeding and sex. We are so on the, um the bandwagon of getting out the, I can't even think I'm so like brain dead, but just getting the word out that like breastfeeding is not birth control. Like when you said that, I was like, amen, because there's so many women out there that I come by. They're like, yeah, I was breastfeeding. I got pregnant. It was so weird. And I'm like, no, it's not weird. (laughs) Like you are, Mm -hmm. if you're getting your period back and you're ovulating, like Mm -hmm. game on sister. Right. And And you um, can ovulate uh, and not have a period. and True. Very true yes exactly so like I love like I always crack up with that because um I mean yeah I got my I got my period back at four months who knows was I was ovulating again but it was like I was so mad at my body and like wait all these women didn't have their period for like 14 months and I here I am like nursing a giant and I'm like <laughs> back in the saddle of tampons I was so upset Oh my um, God. So, like the one part not being pregnant I hate getting back but um I wanted to just, um, unless you feel like we've fully covered it with breast, how can breastfeeding affect sex? Like the whole hormone side of it, you were talking about, which I definitely get, is there any other things that kind of happen where, you know, it might be a little bit different if you're breastfeeding for a year or, um, I know I, I breastfed for 13 months and uh-huh. I didn't fully get my mojo back as fast as I thought because yeah. there were a lot of things going on, but I'm wondering is, was breastfeeding a part of that? I think
2: so. Um, I mean, definitely from like a hormonal standpoint.
0: Yeah. I mean, some people would argue
2: or say that, you know, it's like nature's way of not getting pregnant again. You know, when you're breastfeeding, like you don't like your drive is kind of down a little bit. Um, I don't know if I like totally believe that. Um, but I think there's definitely a hormonal component to just like not feeling one. I don't like, I think it's hard to just like not feel like yourself when you've got, you know, in that first year postpartum, I mean, it's like survival mode. I mean, I didn't feel like myself at all until like 18 months after my babies. And, um, you know, I think the last thing I kind of wanted to be doing was like, you know, getting frisky. I was like, dude, I just want to go to sleep as much as possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I'm like,
0: please don't make me too many people to already me. need this body. You're laughing. Right. One, so. Right. i oh just <laughs>
2: groped like all day long. Um, so
0: yeah. I
2: think it, I think it, like varies <laughs> for everyone. Um, but yeah, I think like from a hormonal standpoint, and I think like once you start to get kind of like typical cycles back and like consistent cycles, um, then things start to kind of stabilize hormonally. Um, but that can take a while, especially if you're breastfeeding for, for, you know, an extended period of time, but I don't know. I think it just depends on lots of things. Like, are you working? Are you exhausted? Do you have other kids? Like what's happening with all these other external factors that play a yeah, part absolutely. in how sense. like frisky when I get? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 10 PM <laughs> on a Tuesday. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know,
1: yeah, absolutely. So for some of our listeners who may probably have tuned out now if they haven't experienced pregnancy or birth or about to, um, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a more general question. If somebody is like with a partner that let's say like they're, you know, the man parts aren't <laughs> sitting in the lady parts,
0: mm-hmm. is there
1: stuff that like you can do to make like sex more pleasurable if that's the case obviously it's not like a hey just break up you guys don't fit together literally yeah (laughs) Um, but how do how can like they work through that and is that something that you deal with with some patients
2: totally yeah we see it all the time so painful vaginal penetration is called dyspareunia and that's with like anything going into the vagina penis vibrator finger tampon cup Whatever. If you have pain with penetration or things aren't going in, then that's you kind of qualify as this like under dysperunia diagnosis. Um, use of lube properly and good lube is like a very good first step. Um, a lot of patients who have high tone pelvic floor dysfunction, like the muscles are too tight. Um, report feeling like their partner is hitting a wall or they just can't get like in all the way. And that's Mm -hmm. um, consistent with, uh, we see that a lot with people that have like in their pelvic floor muscles. So all of those kind of symptoms and reports um, are totally appropriate for physical therapy. I mean, we always want to rule out any sort of um, like systemic issue, you know, infection or um you know STI or whatever the case may be, chronic yeast, you know, UTI, that sort of thing. But once all that's been cleared, um, then we look at the musculoskeletal system and see what's happening like
1: mechanically. Um
2: and there's lots of things that we can do to help with that. But yeah, we see that all the time. All the time.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's like many different things. So you've mentioned a couple times like different lubes that you um yeah, would recommend yeah. to people. Can you name a few that you yeah. think are better than others?
2: Yeah, so the lube that I use in the clinic is called Slippery Stuff, um, and I like to say that we are of age now where we spend money on eye cream and good lube. So, <laughs> I love it. No, so no more drugstore lube allowed. Um, I You have to get the good stuff. So Slippery Stuff is one um lola l-o-l-a makes good um like kind of organic lube um uber uber lube is another one that's good you basically want to look for like a water-based um you know like paraben free kind of like l- no, low ph type of lube but that's not full of like a bunch of crap that's going to irritate your tissues no tingling no warming no scented anything no like none of that garbage um some people like to use coconut oil i'm not a huge fan of coconut oil um for internal stuff but some people like that um
1: and well and the problem with that one because i was thinking that as you were naming some i have one that's like coconut oil based but it gets all like like coconut oil does you know if it's not stored in a warm area it gets all like yucky <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: Right, and and some people say that coconut oil also has a tendency to like draw bacteria out um, of the vaginal canal, and like that can put you kind of at a higher risk for like yeast or UTI because it takes all the good bacteria too. I don't know know if I have any studies to substantiate that claim, but um, I I just don't think like coconut oil is the best choice. I would much rather have like a water based lube, Um, but you can order like the good stuff online, or you can go to kind of like a higher end adult store. and get some um, that usually aren't sold at like cbs or bonds <laughs> kind of deal. Okay. but um yeah yeah so lube is your friend use lots
1: and use often it's funny you say that lube is your friend i feel like i don't know it's always i've always thought of like if you need lube something's wrong you know like no, not I'm, now in my old right. in my older age but like right. <laughs> i feel like younger you think like Oh, I'm, he's not turning me on, or I'm not aroused because I'm not wet enough, like, you know. Um, yeah. But like, obviously, I'm like, no, I'm a big proponent of lube now. Yeah, lube. <laughs> like, let's yeah. get the show on the road. <laughs> I
2: know. Get the gallon jug. Like, like yeah. Get that out. yeah. Um, Yeah. There's nothing wrong with using lube, and like, there should be no shame associated with that at all. It's great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Save save your badge, ladies. Be right. nice to Brittany. Okay, right? she goes through <laughs> <Right>. a lot. <laughs> she does.
2: She's just been through um, a lot, right? She's just like pushing, yeah, you know, like, like give her a little lube. Let her
0: exactly. Give her some lube. Give her some love. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this was awesome and so educational for us. I'm sure same for our listeners. Um, and this is just some of the womanhood stuff that isn't talked enough about. And I know. Right. You're, you know, doing some great conversations around how pelvic floor therapy should be part of, you know, postnatal um, treatments and not just like a six week, we'll see you then kind of window and love right. that you're having those conversations because it's so true. Um, but where can people find you to be able to continue to follow your advice and um, just connect with you more? Yeah, I hear probably more than they want to hear about vaginas and pooping.
2: Um, <laughs> I, so I'm on Instagram at uh, the down there doc. Um, so you can follow me there. I post lots of stuff um, kind of on there. My web, my clinic is in Los Angeles. I'm in the South Bay and it is um, restorative pelvic physical therapy. So you can find me online. The website is um, www.restorativepelvicphysicaltherapy.com longest name ever did not think that through when I started the business a year ago (laughs) not very business obviously um but I also have a blog on there so um you can read blog posts um I try to put one out like once a month on topics that are relevant to pelvic floor and postpartum health um and then most of my stuff is on Instagram um so anything that's kind of going on event-wise I'll post on there and then um there are links on my website to like um, other articles and other things that I've been featured in that talk about all the same stuff
0: awesome and we will be having you on our blog this friday for a guest post which we're really excited about so we will link out yeah. to your website and everything there in case people don't remember the longer url <laughs> that i
2: already forgot to so. yeah i know i <laughs> would go like, to the
0: blog people <laughs> go to the blog
2: find me on instagram just click one yeah. time on the website yeah that was not clearly really? the pt doesn't have any business training right <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, was, like, no, I was just pop-ups. thinking like
2: your Instagram is so great. Oh, like, your Instagram! Oh, well,
1: thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, God. I love yeah. it. Oh, thank love you. It, I love it.
2: Love it, love that. it.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, thank you. We've really enjoyed yeah. this conversation, and definitely going to go back and listen and share with because I know the especially the episiotomy question comes up a lot in discussion with moms who are expecting or new moms and stuff. So sure. definitely appreciate your opinions on the questions we had for you.
2: Yeah, of course. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'll happily talk shop
0: anytime. So you just let me know. Hey, we will, because I'm sure post these babies, we will have even more questions. So be careful what you wish nice. for me. <laughs> so like, uh, Brooke, Heather, take it out a notch.
2: <laughs> I'm, like, um, I'm
0: close.
2: No, I would never do yeah.
0: it. It's 9pm no. on a Tuesday. What are you doing? We're like trying to have sex. We're scared. <laughs> no, I want those. Sex.
2: I want you to text me at 9pm on a Tuesday. Be like, tell me the lube again. And I will happily... Yeah, find that link over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Marcy, and um, we will definitely be talking to you soon. Thank you for joining a space for soul.
0: If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We'll, we'll love, love you, you forever.
1: forever. For more information on today's topics, the notes from this episode can be found on our website, SoulSpace.co/podcast. forward That's SoulSpace. S-O-L-S-P-A-C-E. Co forward/podcast.
0: You can also find us on Instagram at soulspace.co. Catch us next week at the same place, same time and as always, feel free to tell a friend. Toodles.